we would all love for the Orioles to go out and get that ace starter this offseason. But nothing they've done since Mike Elias has taken over has shown that they're ready or willing to make that move. So instead, would someone like Patrick Sandoval make more sense for the starter the O's acquire this offseason? I'll answer that question and more coming up on another mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag once again. Little Mailbag Tuesday action on today's pod is yesterday we did have some news to talk about with the non-tender deadline being Friday evening, recording yesterday for the first time since then, but still getting the weekly mailbag in there here on a Tuesday episode. Got six questions to get to here on the mailbag all from you, the listeners. We're going to talk a little bit about Mike Elias, a little bit about Brandon Hyde, a little bit about Kobe Mayo. We'll talk about what the Orioles can learn and shouldn't learn from teams like the Rays, Guardians, and the Brewers, and then a bit about a potential trade candidate on the starting pitching market for the Orioles this offseason. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day, even here in the offseason, we thank you to the everydayers out there who make Locked on Orioles their first listen every day. And again, in a couple weeks here, we'll be shrinking down to three days a week, generally Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But I will still have all the Orioles news, notes, and analysis throughout the offseason as the O's hopefully start to add to this team and go a little deeper into the postseason in 2024. But make sure to subscribe to the pod wherever you listen. Leave us a five-star rating and a review if you can. And also, check out the podcast on YouTube. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. And that's one of the places where you can send in mailbag questions. If you're not hearing your question answered on this mailbag episode, don't worry. We're doing a mailbag every single week throughout the offseason, generally on Mailbag Mondays. You can get the questions in LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com or leave them right here in the YouTube comments on any of these videos, and we'll get to them on a future mailbag. But let's jump right into our first question of the day. It comes from Izzy via email who asks, when will the Orioles renew Brandon Hyde's contract? It's kind of a layered question. It's something I've talked about, I think, a couple of times on this episode. It's been written about a bit before. The Orioles are incredibly close to the vest, really with anything, especially since Mike Elias took over as GM in November of 2018. But even before that, when John Angelos was getting more control as, as Peter's health was declining, they have been very close to the vest. You don't get a lot of stuff that leaks out of this front office. When something does, it's fairly rare. And one of the things that they hold really closest to their chest for some reason is the contract status of front office people and coaches. And specifically, the most front-facing people, which are general manager Mike Elias and manager Brandon Hyde. What we know right now is that both of them are under contract for at least 2024. What we also know is Mike Elias has said it, John Angelos has said it, there is a commitment 
to those two guys to help run this Orioles show, especially after an incredible 101-win season this year. What we don't know is what the details are to the contract. Now, we've heard Mike Elias confirm, hey, you know, the rest of the coaching staff when he told us that Darren Holmes would not be coming back and that Chris Holt was being moved back to director of pitching. He said the rest of the coaching staff will be back in 2024. That's all we know about Brandon Hyde. Now, you can assume that there's a contract there for, at the very least, 2025 as well. Because managers, if you watch Moneyball or you just kind of think about how the job works, don't like managing a team on an expiring contract. So I would have to think Hyde is at least under contract for 2025 as well, especially after winning the Manager of the Year award. But because the Orioles, with players, as we've seen, don't like to give out multi-year contracts, they love the flexibility at all positions. That includes the coaching staff. I wouldn't be surprised if right now, Brandon Hyde's contract was up after 2025. And if the Orioles have success again at the end of this year, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something that kicked in that extended him through 2026. And it just kind of kept going like that, where it would extend it another year out. So he'd never be planning on on, or managing on an expiring contract, but also never had that really long-term promise from the organization. And again, I don't have any insight onto if that's actually the case, but we really don't know beyond next year what Brandon Hyde's contract looks like. Second question comes from John on Twitter, who says, Mike Elias has made some comments about adding to the team, things he said in 2022 and 23, like liftoff and going after top flight starting pitching, that John says just don't seem to come true. So he asks, when does Mike Elias lose credibility? Now, this is actually a topic I've touched on a little bit on this podcast in the past, and this is just how I treat pretty much everything Mike Elias says to this point. I, I see things that John Angelo says very differently from the things that Mike Elias says. When John Angelo speaks, he makes a fool out of himself every single time. And I consider them to just be lies whenever he's talking. Mike Elias is different. I don't necessarily feel like Elias is lying when he speaks to the media and talks about these things. But I've pretty much set the precedent for myself that I am not taking any of Mike Elias's words at face value at all. It's just not worth it. Because most of the things he has said, he either doubles back on them later in the same paragraph, in the same answer to a question, or they just don't come true, and you can tell he's kind of covering for John Angelos. Essentially, part of his job is to take the hits for Angelos and to go out there and say the right things when talking to the media when the Orioles know that behind the scenes, they're not exactly going to do those things that they talk about. Just look at Elias's comments, right? Like at the end of the season press conference, and then also with people talking to him at the GM meetings. You know, he says, we're looking for a, a starting pitcher. We're looking for a reliever. He says that, right? And then the same answer, in the same interview, he comes back and says, well, you know, it's going to be tough, though, because a lot of teams are looking for starting pitching. So who knows whatever, whatever you know, we'll get to pick up, who we'll get to sign, if there'll be good players out there for us. He just kind of gives a caveat to everything he says. So I don't take any of it at face value. And I would recommend that you do the same. Again, I don't think he loses credibility if you take it from this vantage point, from this viewpoint, right? Like he's just covering for Angelos. Angelos wants him to go out there and say the right thing and then provide the coverage underneath of it in case it doesn't happen. 
or actually when they know that thing like signing a top flight flight starting pitcher will not actually happen, right? That's how I see what Elias says. Now, he said some stupid stuff too, right? Like the things he said at the 2022 trade deadline after they dealt away Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez and talked about how, you know, they looked at it and felt that their chances to make the playoffs weren't very good, even though they were only a couple of games out of the wild card at that point. And he kind of lost the locker room. If you remember that, Elias had to fly down to Texas where the Orioles were set to play the Rangers later that night, the day of the trade deadline, and talk to the leaders in that clubhouse to basically talk them back and say, you know, this didn't mean it. This is what I actually meant. It caused a stir when he said that, and I don't know why he would say something like that. Even if you think it internally, it's kind of similar to Jerry Depoto, the Mariners GM, saying the thing earlier this offseason, you know, we're looking to win 54% of our games over a 10-year stretch. That's not what you say, even if that is the internal goal. And even if the data tells you that those teams are generally, you know, in the top five, top 10 in baseball and always playoff teams, you don't say that out loud because it sounds dumb and it sounds like you're not really trying to win. Very similar to what Elias said at the 22 deadline. So yes, he said some things that are very stupid, but also most of the stuff he's talking about, what the Orioles are going to do, what moves they'll make. I take none of it at face value. You'll notice that rarely on this podcast do I like read through and go through Elias press conferences and pick out things he's talked about. I don't think it really shows that much of the direction that the team is headed at any time. And I think that's just a better way to look at it. And I think you'll feel a little bit better moving forward if that is your viewpoint when Elias does talk to the media. We got four more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode. Next up, got cool back-to-back questions coming up about the Orioles and, and John Angelo saying they want to model themselves after the Rays, the Guardians, and the Brewers. Well, what can they do on the good side to model those teams? And what should they avoid on the bad side that those teams have done? We'll talk about that coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, answering your Orioles questions, and we get to question number three of the day. This question comes from JR on Twitter, and actually JR is going to get questions three and four of the mailbag because I kind of turned it into a two-parter. But JR asks, if the Orioles actually do operate like the Rays or the Guardians or the Brewers. He threw the A's in there, but it's it's kind of different to talk about the A's now, now that that disaster is happening and the owners have approved the team moving to Las Vegas. What can the Orioles emulate from those teams? Now, I'll start with the gist of JR's question, which is on the positive side. Now, where this question comes from is John Angelos earlier this year when asked about, you know, what are the Orioles want to go for? Are they trying to model themselves after the Astros because they brought a lot of Astros front office here? He said, no, we're trying to be like the Rays, the Brewers, and the Guardians. What does that mean? That means a team that's in the bottom half of payroll all the time is always thinking about the payroll, keeping it low, keeping it low, and churning through players. Now, teams that still have success, teams that have been the postseason a lot recently, but have no hardware to show for it. That 
is what the Orioles are gunning for. I put down three things on the positive side, three kind of categories, I guess. They got multiple things in them. But three things, three categories on the positive side that the Orioles can take from those three teams. Again, the Rays, the Guardians, and the Brewers. And there's different things to take from each of them. Number one would be still being willing, despite low payroll, to extend some of your best guys. The Rays have done it kind of both ways, right? They gave the huge extension to Wander Franco. Uh, I don't think, if all of that is true, he should ever play a Major League Baseball game again. Now, did they know about any of that stuff when they gave the extension? I would think no, if they're giving out that much money. But still, on the baseball field, he was an incredible talent, and they wanted to keep him around for 11 years. Now that has all changed, but it seemed like good business back then. And also, they've gotten cheaper extensions for some of their important players. Brandon Lau, Yandy Diaz, Jeffrey Springs, Pete Fairbanks. All these guys have signed like pretty solid, shorter, lower money extensions to keep them around longer that kind of benefited the player and benefited the team. We haven't seen any of that stuff from the Orioles, right? Like even the Brewers, like they took on, you know, all that Christian Yelich money on their team. Like even... The Cleveland Guardians, who traded away Francisco Lindor, did give Jose Ramirez, their other superstar, a huge contract extension to stay in Cleveland. So even these teams have spent some money internally. The Orioles have not done that yet. That needs to start and needs to start with Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman right now. Like, let's get it going. And even you can do the shorter extensions, the Cedric Mullins, the Anthony Santander's, the Kyle Bradishes of the world. You can do those shorter extensions that help you out in the long run as well. Number two on the list is creating and maintaining a player development machine. I think the Orioles have at least created it on the hitting side at this point. People know O's hitting prospects, those are the best in baseball, it seems. And the pitching is coming along, not as fast as the hitting, but the O's have a really serious player development system in the minor leagues. I think we can all agree with that at this point, but you need to keep it churning. And that is something the Rays have done. And that is something specifically the Guardians and Brewers have done mostly on the pitching side, but their hitting side is coming along as well. Kind of the flip-flop of the Orioles, but they have continued to churn out these great players from the minor leagues. And it's not just right. The drafting and developing of your own guys, because the O's have done great with that so far. And those teams do really well too, but it's also what the Orioles have started to do and what the Rays and the Brewers and the Guardians continue to do and that is finding these diamonds in the rough, whether they are while they're in the minors or whether they're like waiver claim guys and others. And the O's have done some of this too. And then, you know, raisifying a guy like the Rays did, for example, with Robert Stevenson this year. He was kind of a failed starter, former first round pick, brought him in, fixed him, made him one of the best relievers in baseball. He's a free agent. I don't know if he's going back to the Rays, but he's going to get paid pretty well for being a really good setup guy for somebody's team. Like, the O's need to emulate that and do that and churn out those good players. Because of number three, if you're going to operate like these teams, it means you're always churning the roster, right? You're not giving a lot of guys big money. You're not paying a lot of free agents. And there's always a lot of good players who need to be on your 40-man roster. And it's usually more than 40 guys, more that can fit. So number three on the list is being proactive with the 40-man roster. This is something all three of these teams do. Cleveland's done it very well in the past, but the Rays, I think, are the number one example of it. The Rays will look a year ahead, right? They will see a guy who is someone who they think, yeah, he could help us at the major league level at some point, but he is not a sure thing, you know, almost everyday player or sure thing contributor on our big league team in the next two years. They see a guy one offseason who's going to be Rule 5 eligible the next offseason, and they look at him and they say, 
we have questions about whether or not you will be able to contribute for us in two years. And because of that, they trade him then. Before the player even gets onto the 40-man, they've done this multiple times, and they trade him for someone who's either further away, right, from 40-man eligibility, or someone in the same spot, but the Rays might see, okay, you can help us a little bit sooner than this guy can. Let's go upgrade our 40-man roster. And it also works on the flip side for the Rays. When they have guys already on the 40-man, but they're starting to you know, lose a little bit of the shine, and the Rays are seeing prospects coming up and saying, you know what, that prospect, that second baseman right there we got coming up, he's better than Vidal Bruhan, who's a second baseman on our 40-man roster. You know, Bruhan's a big leaguer right now, but that guy's going to need to be added soon. And we need to clear that spot. But Bruhan still has some shine. Let's trade him now instead of waiting a year when we have to clear the spot. And then everyone says, well, we know you have to get rid of him anyway. We're not giving up anything for Vidal Bruhan. And what do the Rays do just a couple of days ago? They trade Vidal Bruhan, who I think could be a solid, at least bench bat, and maybe more in the big leagues. And Calvin Fauché, who I think can be a solid middle reliever and has been for the Rays. They trade the two of those guys for two prospects and open up two spots on their 40-man roster so they could add prospects to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. And you keep that churn going, staying a year, two years ahead of those guys. And it's, it's not a fun way to watch your baseball team be run. You'd rather just hold on to your best players. But if they're going to do what the Rays and other teams have done, you got to be proactive like that. And that's something that the Rays have been good at to this point. And it's the reason why, you know, everybody always talks about how good the Rays are at trades. And there's the famous tweet that's basically like, I love this trade for the Rays. Who do they get and who do they give up? I believe it's the Jeff Sullivan tweet. Like, that is the entire Rays. That is what the Orioles would need to be too if they're going to operate like this. And question four of the mailbag, I basically turned into a follow-up to JR's question because JR asked for the positive side, like what should the Orioles emulate from these three teams? I turned it into the negative side also. What should the Orioles not do that these teams do if they're going to operate like them from a budget and player development standpoint? Now for this one, I wrote down two things, two categories, but also have multiple things within them. Number one would be don't be okay with some down years, right? This is something all three of these organizations have been guilty of over the past few years. Now, the Rays have done a better job recently. They have been pretty consistent for a few years now. But from 2014 to 2017, the Rays went into a valley. Now, they were never fully tanking, but they were not good as they were kind of replenishing things in the farm system. Now, to give them credit, 2018 on, they've been really good. I've been a playoff contender every single season. But look at the Cleveland Guardians. After they have a really special year in 2022, they come back this year, complete dud. That was a really bad AL Central. Guardians were the defending champs. They brought back most of that team. They added to it a little bit. And yet, by the deadline, they seemed perfectly fine with just kind of, eh, not going to do it this year. You can't get into that phase of, well... You know, maybe this won't be the year. Let's trade away some big leaguers, get some more prospects in, and then maybe next year, two years, we'll compete. Windows close. Championships don't happen all the time. Any year you have a chance to get to the postseason, you need to try to get there. And this is already something I'm worried about because of how the Orioles operated in 2022. What I just mentioned with Elias at the deadline and trading away Lopez and Mancini. Yeah, they were on the outside looking in, but they had a chance. They finished three games out of a playoff spot that year. They could have got into the postseason. And if we learned anything from the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, 
both wildcard teams. Anything can happen. Anybody can win it once you just get into the dance. And the Orioles didn't do that last year. And maybe it's a different spot because they weren't sure they were, you know, starting their window yet. But some of these other teams have kind of mailed it in a little bit. And even you have the Brewers now who just won the NL Central. And yes, did they show up in the playoffs? Not really. Got swept by the Diamondbacks and went home in the wildcard series. But they're kind of going through a retool, turning over a new leaf. The Brewers are not going to be good next year, right? They lose Craig Council. I think they're going to trade Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas. Brandon Woodruff is out. They're going to go through a dip next year, I think. You can't be doing that. I get that there's some pluses to it, right? You can trade away a couple of fringe guys. You can get some more prospects. You can replenish the system a little bit. But every bite at the apple you have, you have to take it in the postseason, especially when you don't have that title yet. you got to get that first title. And any year could be it if you just get in. It doesn't matter if you scrape your way in as the final wildcard team. The Diamondbacks had 84 wins and went to the World Series. The Rangers blew it in the last weekend, lost the division, ended up being the five seed, and won the World Series with a dominant postseason. Just get yourself in. You cannot give away any seasons. And the second thing would be, this is a little more broad, but kind of attacking and fixing your team's issues faster. All three of these teams have had kind of a glaring issue for the past few years and still haven't been able to fix it. For the Rays, it's kind of different. For the Rays, it's injuries. I mean, they just continue to get injured and injured and injured. Every year, they got the most players on the IL. Now, some have talked about how it's too much bullpen usage and too much pitcher usage, and that's why all their arms are getting injured. I get it. It's also position players. They got to figure that out. For the Brewers, it's just offense in general. They've had this great starting rotation. They put together good bullpens. They got, you know, some guys on offense, but just like that lineup has not been good at all. And for the Guardians, it's been power, right? Like they got away with it in 2022, hitting for no power. They hit for even less power this year. It was a disaster. They basically had nobody besides Jose Ramirez who could hit the ball out of the ballpark this season. And they haven't been able to go fix it yet. If the Orioles find that there is a flaw, right, maybe it is, you know, veteran starting pitching, maybe it is, you know, bats at the bottom of the lineup, whatever it may be, go and attack that need. However you do it, it doesn't matter, but make that weak spot better as quick as you can to stay in the race every single year. There's probably more they can learn from those three teams, the Rays, the Guardians, and the Brewers, but, and it's unfortunate that the Orioles say they're going to operate like that, right? I mean... Do I think John Angelos lies a lot? Yeah, but when he tells you he's afraid to spend money and he says we want to operate like those teams, you kind of have to believe him because I don't think he's going to flip it around and say, ha-ha, actually, we're going to be the Rangers. We're going to be the Padres. We're going to spend all our money. That's not happening. It's John Angelos. It's not happening. So this is what I think we're going to be in for, and, and hopefully at the very least they can do a better job than these three teams because guess what? These teams haven't won any World Series. The Brewers, no. The Rays, no. I mean, both teams have gotten there in the last decade. The Brewers went to the... NLCS a couple of years ago, but that's not a ring. You got to get the ring and they haven't done it. And because they don't spend the big money, that is generally why they haven't been able to do it. We got two more questions though, to finish off this mailbag episode coming up next. Going to talk a bit about Kobe Mayo and then a little bit about a starting pitching acquisition that could make some sense for the Orioles. Pretty good question right here. So we're finishing up this mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast here. Got two more questions to get to, both from you, the listeners. Thank you all so much for sending in your mailbag questions. And again, if you submitted mailbag questions and they weren't answered today, don't worry. Do not worry. Continue to send them in. We'll do a mailbag episode every single week. 
And before we get to the last two questions, just want to let you all know that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. You can find Locked On Orioles throughout that streaming channel there as well. But final two mailbag questions of the day to get to question number five comes from two different people. Scott sent it in via email and then MD Fan Perspective on Twitter as well, basically asking, what is Kobe Mayo's defensive position future? And this is a good question because Kobe Mayo, who was drafted at a high school in Florida in 2020, has this insane raw power, has made it all the way to AAA Norfolk. That is where he will start the 2024 season. And then, you know, there's a chance he keeps hitting. He could be in the big leagues at some point in 2024. It could happen. He has that high skill set, especially at the plate. But there has been questions about his defense, not so much about if he can play defense, more so about where is it best to use his skill set. Now, Mayo was drafted as a third baseman, and that is where he has mostly played as he has climbed throughout the Orioles minor league system, but he's played some first base, and they've tried him in right field and, you know, could fit a little bit in left field as well. And the question becomes, you know, does he have kind of the footwork, the glove work to play third? We know he has the arm. The arm is a cannon. Does he have the speed to play left or right field, even though the arm is the cannon? I think the first base is the fallback option. It seems like he'll be able to play first base if it comes to that. But again, once you move a guy to first base, it becomes a little tougher, right? You want him to be a little more versatile, and plus the Orioles have Mountcastle, O'Hearn, plus you're talking about Santander and Kerstad over there. It's not really a spot where there's a hole on the team that Mayo can potentially jump in and help out. Third base, though, maybe right field, left field, you got a little more leeway there for Kobe Mayo. I see a lot of even prospect people. I think Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs kind of lists him as a future right fielder. I think for now I see Mayo staying at third base. I mean, I get, you know, what happened with Ryan Mountcastle, and it's kind of a, a similar story, but Mayo's a better defender over there, clearly, than Ryan Mountcastle was. Now I'll admit, in terms of what I've watched of Kobe Mayo, I am much more often watching his at-bats than watching him play third base or first or right field or wherever he is because I love watching him hit the ball 500 feet sometimes. But what I will say is he still looks solid at the hot corner, and the arm is crazy over there. It is fun to watch. So for me... I would love for him to be versatile, right? I would love for him to be at third, to be in right, to be able to play left, to be able to play first base, but I would keep that primary position at third base, not just because there's an opening there, but that's his spot, and I don't think he's like lost it yet from how he plays defensively. Now, he could prove me wrong and show that he's struggling there and get moved out, but right now, I'm keeping Mayo at least at third base for now. And the sixth and final question of today's mailbag episode comes from Adit on Twitter who asks, is someone like Patrick Sandoval or another non-ace Mike Elias former draft pick the most likely starting pitcher trade acquisition for the Orioles this offseason? Really good question from Adit and really good research here because if you've noticed, and it's been more so in the early years of the rebuild, but since Elias took over in November of 2018, it's been just about five years on the dot since Mike Elias was hired as Orioles GM, it's been a lot of guys that Elias, you know, was in charge of, had on the Astros or had on the Cardinals even back in the day that have played for the Orioles, especially during the leaner years of the rebuild. He loves going to guys who he knows, he scouted, he helped to draft and going back to them when they are available. And good researching from a deep because the best pitcher that could theoretically be available 
this offseason and was drafted by Mike Elias and team is Patrick Sandoval. Patrick Sandoval, 27-year-old left-handed pitcher, currently pitches for the Los Angeles Angels, was drafted in the 11th round of the 2015 draft by the Houston Astros. All the way back in 2015, Patrick Sandoval out of high school. Now, they traded him to the Angels in 2018. And funny enough, the Martin Maldonado deal and got their bad catcher that everyone seems to love, or at least Dusty Baker seems to love. But Sandoval has been pretty good with the Angels. Now, this year, he was okay. He threw 144 and two-thirds innings, had a 4.11 ERA for the left-hander. 20% strikeout rate, little down. Walk rate, 11%, little up. But if you go back to 2022, Sandoval was awesome. About 150 innings, a 2.91 ERA for Patrick Sandoval as a starting pitcher and a lefty in 2022. It's that great changeup, right, that really helps him. Opponents hit just 184 against the changeup, got a 43% whiff rate. It's one of the, the best changeups from a left-hander in all of Major League Baseball. It's a weapon with a solid fastball and a solid slider as well. He is a good starting pitcher. And if the Orioles acquired him, he would easily be in the starting rotation to begin next year. Now, he wouldn't be an ace. He's had some good moments and had a great year two years ago, but he wouldn't be an ace, but he would be one of their top five starting pitchers, no doubt about it. And the reason why I also like this question is, you know, we thought about, you know, what guys could the Orioles trade for last offseason to add to the starting pitching? And they went out and they got Cole Irvin. Nobody saw Cole Irvin coming, right? They go and get him from the A's. Nobody even knew he was available. And they got a guy in Irvin at the time who had four years of team control. And even though Irvin didn't quite work out as they wanted this year, they still have three more years of team control with Cole Irvin. It can still work out over these three years, not putting all your eggs in a one-year basket. That's why Sandoval might work out because he has three years still of control. That's a good pitch to get for three years of control, which would mean it would cost a lot. But I would think the Angels, who are almost certainly not going to re-sign Shohei Otani and could even, you never know, trade Mike Trout this offseason, you would think the Angels, although they've said, hey, we're going to spend and try to win, they're a disaster. It might help them with their terrible farm system to trade away a player like Sandoval, who probably won't be on the team the next time they figure it out and be good, and instead get some prospects from maybe the best system in all of baseball. That is a trade that could work out. And I'd like Adit going and saying, Mike Elias... He likes the guys he's drafted. Well, Sandoval was one of those guys, and he is by far the best one out there that Elias has drafted. Because I went and looked to see, all right, are there any more draft picks from Elias and Houston out there that could be available and are good this offseason? He was with the Astros from 2012 to 2018. Those were the drafts he helped to oversee. The names besides Patrick Sandoval aren't great. You got guys like Daniel Megden, Trent Thornton, Cole Sands, Darius Vines, Peter Solomon, like... Not the cream of the crop. Some of these guys are like free agents you can sign to a minor league deal. Some, yeah, it's not anything close to Patrick Sandoval. Even went back and looked at his time with the Cardinals from 2007 to 2011. You got some names that are available this offseason. Shelby Miller, Joe Kelly, Lance Lynn, all available as free agents this year. But also a little bit different, and only Lynn is still a starter at this point. So really, if you're looking for that Astros or that Mike Elias connection... And you're looking for that guy who, if the Orioles are going to make a trade, they're going to do it just like last year, a guy we never even thought of. Maybe Patrick Sandoval is actually that guy. And this might be an incredible find from Adit on Twitter. So great question. Love the find. I'm kind of on board. I would like to see Patrick Sandoval in this rotation. I think him plus a free agent signing, O's could be ready to roll in 2024. 
But thank you all so much for getting in your mailbag questions. Again, we'll be doing them every single week. We will be back tomorrow on the podcast, continuing to talk Orioles baseball. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.